breast cancer. Those are two words your patients don't want to hear and news that you don't want to deliver. Unfortunately, for one in eight American women, it's a truth they'll have to face in their lifetime. And the risks are clear. Besides being female, the two major risk factors for developing breast cancer are advancing age and family history. In fact, about 80% of women diagnosed with invasive breast cancer are age 50 and older. And while family history of the disease is an important risk factor, up to 80% of women diagnosed with breast cancer don't have one. Unfortunately, many women still have misperceptions about who is at risk. They think, I don't have a family history of breast cancer, so I don't need to worry. My mom had breast cancer, but I'm only 43. The good news is that with early detection, we can try to reduce the risk of breast cancer mortality. Through awareness and education, we hope to improve patients' willingness to be screened for breast cancer. To help in this effort, Lilly has created the Strength in Knowing Breast Cancer Awareness Program and website. It's designed to educate women about their individual risks and provide a means for them to share this knowledge with others. At strengthinknowing.com, women can hear from professionals as they discuss the importance of knowing the risks of breast cancer, find out about events they can attend in their city, and help spread the message. The resources may also be helpful to you and your practice. There is strength in knowing about the risks of breast cancer. So spread the word today. Visit strengthinknowing.com and tell your patients to visit too. I didn't realize I was at risk until I visited. I told my sister, my mother, and my aunt. This program is sponsored by Eli Lilly and Company. Answers that matter. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly. Your host is Dr. Lawrence Stryker, Assistant Clinical Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine. Treating heart disease can be challenging, particularly because while physicians can recommend weight loss, smoking cessation, and exercise, ultimately it is up to the patient to make appropriate lifestyle changes. Even in the compliant patient, though, drug and or surgical treatments are often needed. Today, we are joined by Dr. Marla Mendelson, Director of the Women's Cardiology Program of the Bloom Cardiovascular Institute of Northwestern Memorial Hospital to discuss gender-specific pharmacologic and surgical intervention in the treatment of coronary artery disease. Welcome, Dr. Mendelson. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to be here. When you recommend a particular pharmacologic treatment, are there specific considerations unique to women? Usually not. As far as treating coronary disease, there are a few instances where we have to be careful. Women tend to be smaller than men by body mass size, and sometimes that may impact on the potency of a drug. And one of those drugs may be aspirin, mm-hmm. and women may respond somewhat differently to aspirin. We have some differing data in, for example, with the prevention of coronary disease in men and in women with regard to aspirin. The data looks stronger in men. There's a little bit different study. But by and large, we really haven't gotten to that point yet where we can identify specific gender things or drugs have been developed for men and for women. I think in the older woman, 
Treating high blood pressure can be difficult because there can be a lot of variability in her blood pressure and because the arteries are stiff, sometimes we over we overreach our goal, mm-hmm. for example, and there, we may need to change our dosing schedule and maybe use small doses throughout the day. And that I've seen in my experience more often in women and may have to do with smaller body size. But by and large, the idea is is to get women in. That we're, we're still dealing with the first part. Get women in recognize that they have risk factors and treat them or treat their disease. With cholesterol, for example, all of the big studies that have showed improvement in long-term outcome with aggressive treatment of cholesterol, they've been done in men and women. Now, there haven't been as many women in those studies, but they've done as well or even sometimes better than the men in the studies. Now, of course, in the studies, and you just mentioned that women tend to be underrepresented, why has that been the case in the past, and is that still the case now? I think it's less so, and I think there has been a national, from the National Institutes of Health, actually, a edict that said you can't keep women out of the study. <laughs> it's too bad it takes an edict. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no, people have to have a good reason not to have women in their studies now, and that's been for maybe the last 15 years. But prior to that, I think part of the, the problem is that women were not recognized to be at risk for coronary disease. And so they weren't targeted in studies or they didn't volunteer for studies. That's another whole different issue. Then the other thing is that if you're studying a new drug, you want to want to study it for safety. And you're going to set an age limit because after a certain age, drugs become more risky and there's more complications. So you're going to set an arbitrary age limit of let's say you make it 60 or 65 well, if you set it at 60 or 65, you're going to eliminate a lot of women with coronary artery disease because they don't start showing up with coronary disease till about 60. Mm-hmm. So there was a good reason behind it. It wasn't just arbitrary to... It was sometimes arbitrary because they set that age thing, but it turned out that it left a lot of women out of the studies. Also, they claim that women don't volunteer for studies, and when there are volunteer studies, you have to be careful, too. There was a recent study of the hormone replacement, the Women's Health Initiative, Mm -hmm. when they really wanted to get information about women who were around the age of menopause, and yet because women volunteered for the study, they ended up with a study group that was 10 years older than they wanted right. to. Well, as long as you've brought that up, and I'm going to go to that right now, because as a gynecologist, of course, I'm eager to hear your thoughts about estrogen replacement to the postmenopausal woman. And I think we all now realize that the initial interpretation was flawed since the women were older and the use of statins was not considered. And of course, reevaluation of the data now suggests that for women who start estrogen at the onset of menopause, there is a cardiac benefit. So what are your thoughts on that? And are you recommending that women who are at risk for cardiac disease start estrogen at the onset of menopause? I think that in a woman who is at risk for coronary artery disease, and for as a cardiologist, this was important information because I think it started women focusing on and started gynecologists focusing on, is it safe for this woman to be on it? And therefore, by screening more women, we're going to pick up more problems, which is a good thing. So I think there's been more attention paid to it. I think a woman should be screened before she goes on hormone replacement therapy because there's a difference between being at risk and having disease. And what screening would you recommend? I would recommend good history, cholesterol, looking for fasting blood glucose, 
those type of screens. If a woman is having any type of symptoms, then at that point you might want to consider even a stress test to look mm-hmm. for any kind of disease. But I think it's important not only to screen them when they start hormone replacement therapy, if they have risk factors, but throughout the process. When should women receive aspirin? That's a very good question. Usually it is the woman who has more than two risk factors who's been recommended. It shows that aspirin does have some beneficial effect preventing stroke, but the data for preventing heart disease was disappointing. Mm-hmm. In this one study that was done, they did not necessarily use conventional doses of aspirin in the study. One thing the study did show is that not every woman needs to be taking aspirin to prevent heart disease. And I think that's another of these magic bullet things. Oh, I'll just take an aspirin and I don't have to do anything else. Right. I don't have to exercise Wrong. or lose weight. Yeah, Wrong. The most important thing, and I think this hormone replacement issue has brought, again, highlighted that, that there's a lot of things a woman can do to improve her coronary risk profile. And taking a magic bullet, whether it's aspirin or hormone replacement therapy, is not the answer. You're listening to Advances in Women's Health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Marla Mendelson, director of the Women's Cardiology Program of the Bloom Cardiovascular Institute of Northwestern Memorial Hospital about gender-specific pharmacologic and surgical intervention in the treatment of coronary artery disease. So let's move on a little bit and talk about the invasive and surgical intervention. How does the use of percutaneous coronary intervention differ in women? Well, originally, when the devices were larger, there were problems in women because women tend to have smaller arteries. Women are smaller. They have smaller body surface area. They have smaller arteries. In the early days, the catheters were quite large, and there were complications associated with it. Also, women, when you look at all these studies, women were older. They had more advanced disease, more concomitant disease, so they were at a higher risk generally. I think in the current era of smaller devices, more aggressive approaches, I think women are doing well. And when is it appropriate to undergo cardiac catheterization? It is appropriate to undergo cardiac catheterization when a woman has unstable angina, which is basically chest pain at rest or accelerating angina or angina with EKG changes, or if somebody's had a positive stress test. When is a stent appropriate as opposed to undergoing coronary artery bypass graft? Well, if after the cardiac catheterization it is found that there are discrete stenoses in the coronary arteries that hopefully correlate with either symptoms or findings on the stress test. For example, the area surfeit by that artery demonstrated a problem on the stress test, then that artery can be opened with a balloon and then a stent placed to keep the artery open. If, however, that process is of high risk, if it is in a major artery or if it is in a specifically in a site where it could cause closure of other arteries by trying to open the culprit artery, or if there's extensive disease, bypass surgery may be considered. Is there a difference in the risk of coronary bypass surgery in women versus in the men? Traditionally, it has been higher in women. I have not seen more recent statistics in the more modern era. But traditionally, it was about twice as risky in women because the same factors. Women were older, they're smaller, they have more concomitant illnesses that put them at risk in not only for the surgery, but for recovery. 
and that women were presenting so much later in the course of their disease that they had a lot of disease. My last question is about the ultimate cardiac intervention, heart transplant. Are there issues that are different in women who undergo transplant than in men? Traditionally, women were having more problems with it, and it wasn't as well explained. But I think more recently, it has been fairly comparable. Sometimes there may be harder matches as far as size for women. Mm-hmm. Less donor availability. Donor availability, yeah. So that may be part of it, but as far as doing well, I think they do well. Well, that's very encouraging. I wish to thank our guest, Dr. Marla Mendelson, for helping us understand clinical issues in the treatment of coronary artery disease in women. Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly, with your host, Dr. Lawrence Stryker. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, please go to reachmd.com forward slash women's health.